James chapter 4 today. That's page 1013 if you're using a pew Bible today. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there or, and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know that tomorrow, what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. This is the word of the Lord. One of the things that I am eternally grateful for is the fact that throughout my life, of faith, there have been people that God has inserted into my path that help me, that help me in, in significant ways to see truths in scripture that I needed to see. Um, one of the things about the rhythm of my life is that I'm the one sharing the truths usually as pastor. And so he has been gracious to give me people who could could help me, could minister to me in the sense of things that I really needed to see, pivotal things that have changed the direction of my ministry. What we've been talking about these last weeks um, out of James is is one of those things. In fact, I had a friend who uh, there were numerous times um, that I would call him and we would interact and I would say or maybe meet him directly face-to-face, and say, how are you doing? And his response over those periods of times was sometimes fine, well. But at other times, he, he would answer, God's grace is enough. He didn't go all the details of what was going on, but I knew in those kinds of times, particularly, that there were some difficult things in his life. I knew of some of those things, um, some of the circumstances that were there. And he he wasn't just saying fine or good, just passing it off, but was living out a life of living by grace, drinking God's grace, realizing, as James said, my grace is enough, and and there's grace for us. We've been talking about that in the book of James, um, in verse 6 of chapter 4, a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, it says, but he gives more grace. And we've been trying to drive home what that looks like, what that looks like as we flesh it out. And that's what he was doing. He was fleshing it out. What, the circumstances in life were not perfect. They were difficult, but God's grace was enough for him to do what I believe God wants to do for all of us, for us to live for his glory, to tell the truth about him. Um, Let me back up just a minute to a text that um, may seem in isolation, although we've shared it in this, and it's in Philippians. It says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's a nice text. It's a good text to memorize. But the Danger is that we define needs incorrectly. It's incredibly important that we get 
what it means, what my need is correct. This same person helped me with some of this as as we would confer, as we would talk together. Um, not long ago, or uh, actually quite a while ago, I came across somebody who was talking about this text, and he talked about the fact as he was breaking it down, what the definition of needs were was it, it means for the person in Sudan that they may have all the grace they need to starve to death because literally that's what was happening then. There were Christians in the Sudan who were literally starving to death, but God's promise is that he will give them all the grace they need to do it for his glory. I think that's what it is saying here, that God will give us all the grace we need in whatever circumstance we find ourselves to find that it's enough, enough to live for his glory and to tell the truth about him, which are synonymous things. To live for his glory and to tell the truth about God are synonymous by our lives. That's what I think that promise is. That God will have enough grace for us. And we've defined grace as two things. One is the disposition of God toward his people. In other words, he, he is, is gracious to us in the sense that he doesn't give us what we deserve, the gospel. We get grace. We get our, we, we don't have to pay for our sin because Christ did. That's the disposition of his heart toward us. But also it is a river of strength that he promises. So in this text, when it says he gives more grace, he does both of those things. The disposition of his heart is set toward us to give us grace even when we sin. We don't get treated according to our sin because it was on Christ, but he also gives us grace to come against sin in our lives so that we can live for his glory, so that we can tell the truth about him to the world, to do his will. So, All of that is what we've been talking about these last weeks. And it's so important, I think, that we get that underneath us. It was so important for me as I, as I broke down scripture, as I went through my ministry to have that as the foundation of it so that, so that there was a continuity and a consistency in scripture. That's what the consistency is. Um, I, I'm Lord willing in a few weeks gonna launch out into Romans, the book of Romans. But I realized that had I not gotten some of these things underneath me to jump into the book of Romans, um, it, it still, you still do a trepidation. But, but it's these kinds of truths that help me to, to begin there, Lord willing, in a few weeks. I hope you have that underneath you this morning. I hope you understand what that text means when he says he'll meet all of our needs. And you understand that your need is to live for his glory and that God will always give us all the grace we need in any circumstance to do that because that's what he desires of us. So the question then, the last few weeks is, if that is so significant and so important and God promises it, how do we stay in the way of grace? How do we stay in that channel of grace, if you will? What, what is the what is the walk of grace? What does it look like? And what we've said in the last couple of weeks, it is a walk of humility. Um, the very same text that we've been in tells us that God gives 
God opposes the proud, right after verse 6, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So to walk in humility means that grace will flow to us. The prerequisite to that is to walk in humility. What does it mean to walk in humility? To acknowledge I need it, to confess my sin so that I can say, um, so that, so that we continue to, to know the disposition of God's grace toward us, which doesn't change, but we live in it. We experience it. We sin. We confess. We understand that His heart is toward us and not against us. But also to experience the power of that grace. That to, to sense it coming to us to help us as we go forward. So to walk in humility is incredibly important. Now what I want, what have we been doing and what we're doing I think in James now is he just shows us some specific things about that. In a couple of weeks ago in chapter four, he said the first thing about it is that we live a life of repentance. That's what I think humbling ourselves is, is we just walk humbly before our God. We walk in, in, in a sense of continual repentance, of just seeing more and more of of who God is and our hearts. We, we begin to see the intricacies of that more deeply. We begin to see how sin affects us in ways we didn't even realize it affects us. We sin in ways we don't even realize our sin at times. And, and God just continues to help us to understand that and, and see, um, see sin and see how it rises up within us and how we need to battle against it in our hearts. But then he gives us some specific ways in which it subtly resides in us. And last week we came to the text in uh, um, in James where it says this in verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The idea of slander and gossip. There's several specific things that he talks about of where pride can raise its ugly head, where we get out of the... F- the, the, the way of grace, because we don't walk in humility, but we allow pride to get an upper hand on us and block that flow of grace to us, that, that, that power and that strength to come against sin. And one of the ways we do that is in the area of, of jealously and self-righteousness. That's really what the root, as we talked about last week, of slander or gossip. And we said slander is when you tell untruths, you know it's not true and you speak it. But also gossip is in that same family where it may be even true, but it doesn't need to be shared. You're making judgments. You're setting in a lofty position here of pride, looking down on somebody else and passing judgment. The scripture says we need to be careful of that because basically what you're doing is playing God. You're, you're, you're rising up much like Lucifer rose up in heaven because of his pride and wanted to set in the position of God. And, and we need to be careful that we don't let our jealousy or our self-righteousness somehow put us in that kind of a place. In fact, the scripture is really strong. We, we ended with this, but if you look at James chapter one, if you weren't here last week, he says, um, he says that if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And that is strong language. These are no picadillos as regards to sin. No small thing. And yet we treat them that way, don't we? 
See, that's, that's what I mean about understanding our hearts, understanding how sin resides in us. We see certain things as, as the big sins here. And, and we stay away from them, maybe. Just like the Pharisees stayed away from them. I thank God that I'm not like this. But we let things like this enter in. And I don't think God sees these as the big ones and these as the small ones. In fact, he says, if we participate in these that we sometimes write off, just pass off. Just, just part of the culture. Scripture says our religion is worthless. Worthless. And, and I, particularly, I don't know totally all that worthless means in regards to God. Although, you know, it's, it's not good. But in regards to others, I think, as I said at the end last week, that in small communities, that's what people write it off as. It's worthless. I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want anything to do with that. And so we need to be careful that we don't get caught in that. We don't get caught in that that kind of slander or gossip. Um, I, I think it can be direct. Um, I think we need to be really careful in this day and age, in social media. You don't have to visit the corner coffee shop to participate in it anymore. You can do it in social media context by the kinds of things you like and pass on and affirm. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful of those kinds of things. Examine your heart. Why? Why? What is it in me that is drawn to this? What resides in me? What, what jealousies? What self-righteousness still resides in my heart? What pride wants to raise up its head? Even if we've kind of, kind of written it off as not a big deal. But it's pride. Anytime pride. God opposes the proud. So anytime pride rises up, you stand in opposition. You're on the opposite side of the, Line with God. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. Now we come to another one. And then we're going to come to the table this morning after we look at this one. But again, these, these things that we would kind of write off and just kind of pass off. God doesn't pass them off. Look at the text this morning. It begins in verse 13. It says, let me actually read it again. Just listen to it again. And listen how it ends particularly. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, your pride, pride. And then it says, all such boasting is evil. Evil. Do you think of that way? You see, when I said a few weeks ago to you, did you confess sin this week? And if you didn't, it should bother you. It's because of that categorization we do of sin. We want to call things really evil and then kind of less evil and then we wouldn't even put evil in the sentence but God does all such boasting is evil why because the root of it is pride the sin is pride and God hates it 
He hates that self-sufficiency. It is the root again of what caused Lucifer to rise up in heaven and it is buried in all of us. And God wants to root it out. He wants to work on it. He wants us to work on it. So the subtleties of pride, the subtleties of wanting to be our own God, the subtleties of wanting to do it our own way are intricate in some ways in our hearts. So the question this morning is, what, what is it, what is so bad about it? Why, why is this so evil in God's eyes? Certainly pride, but, but there's some presumptuousness in it. It's the presumptuousness of pride. Three areas that he talks about. We presume, first of all, that we, um, we live, or that we will live as long as we please. That's the first presumption. We will live as long as we please. We decide the number of our days. That's why he says in the text, um, what is your life? For you are a midst that appears for a little while and then vanishes. He, he inserts that. We, we at the heart want to believe that we number our days. We forget. We forget that God numbers them. And he uses the illustration of a mist. There's nothing more vanishing than a mist. In just a few days, it won't be very long, you'll step out on your porch and you will breathe out and, and there will be a vapor or a mist for a moment and it's gone. That's what our life is in comparison to eternity past and eternity future. A mist. And when we forget that, we begin to presume that we somehow number our days. Secondly, we presume that we are free to make whatever plans we want. Whatever we please, we can do. It says, today or tomorrow, in the text, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a plan and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. In other words, it, it doesn't have any other considerations except what I desire and what centers around me. So we need to be careful. We we are we are not in complete control and when we presume to think we are that's evil that is that is wrong that is that is pride the boasting of pride rising up with this and finally it presumes that we can um, that we can make happen whatever we want to make happen here in the text it says we will make a profit the presumptuousness that we'll we'll do this today or tomorrow in such and such a town, and we'll make a profit. It'll just happen. We can do whatever we want. We can accomplish whatever we set out to do. In other words, we begin to make ourselves the sovereign. We decide. We choose. We number our days. It's exactly the sin that resided in that first rebellion in heaven. It's why it's so evil. It's why it's so wrong. It forgets three things. First of all, it forgets our ignorance. We don't know all things, and and we can't know all things. It forgets our frailty. We're a mist. We are frail people. We're more frail than we want to believe. Just put your hand over your heart or take your pulse. Do that tonight when you go to bed. Just do it. And realize that can stop any minute. Once you don't feel that, it's over. That's how fragile we are. Our heart, once it stops, that's it. 
And we forget that. We forget that the beats of our heart are by the very hand of God. He orders our days. And finally, we forget ultimately that we're dependent on him for everything. For everything. For our very life, for our very breath, for the next beat of our hearts. And so the reason it is evil is because of the presumptuousness of it. Now, the question is, and, and then we're going to come to the table, is so don't we plan? Is it wrong to plan? Should we just fly by the seat of our pants? Do we just uh, just wing it? I don't think so. I don't think Scripture says that. In fact, some people spiritualize that. They, they want to say that all planning is wrong. But that's not scriptural either. God says that the, the ant prepares for winter. He lays up and stores up for winter. And so we're told that we ought to not be lazy and that we ought to do that. In the book of Acts, in the book of Corinthians, Paul talked about what he was going to do. But the difference in it is this. In Acts chapter 18 and verse 21, Paul was writing to the Ephesians. He was leaving them, or he actually was speaking to the Ephesians. He was leaving them and he said this, I will return to you. I will return to you. If God wills. In Corinthians, he spoke to the Corinthians. He says, I will come to you if the Lord wills. The difference is we don't presume upon it. We plan and we should. I don't think there's anything spiritual about winging it. In fact, that's as bad. Slothfulness is, is talked against in scripture. Sometimes we do that because of the sinfulness of our hearts. Sometimes we wing it out of presumption. But God says it's all right to plan, and we should, and we should be diligent, and we should work when the sun is up, and not be lazy, and not be slothful, and all of that. But the difference is what the Scripture says, if the Lord wills. Lord willing. Lord willing. Does that come to your mind? I told you a while back that that statement gets caught in my throat often. Um, particularly, I don't know if it's because, maybe, maybe it's because of email. Maybe it's because of you see what you write and it's in print. Maybe that's what's made it more vivid to me. I'm not sure. But when somebody says to me, a lot of times when we're scheduling stuff, you do this, it's easier to do it by email or by text easy to schedule. You don't have to have a long conversation. You just, if we're going to meet a certain time, you can do it all on your phone. But there's something in me that catches when I, you know, they say, well, how about five o'clock? And I say, well, I'll see you at five. I, I more often than not in these days will preface that by saying, Lord willing, I'll see you at five. There was a day in which um, I didn't do that because I didn't want to look Overly pious, I guess, partly is why I didn't want to come off as too pious and not be able to connect with people. But as of late, I don't care about that anymore because it's so true. I don't want to be presumptuous. I'm more fearful of being presumptuous than I am of being too pious toward people and around people. And it isn't a matter of whether you do it. It isn't a matter of if you actually print it. Don't get in some legalistic thing that you have to write it every time so that you you do it and you don't do it. But do you think it? 
Do we think that? Do we think that every time we begin to say we're going to do this or we're going to do that, does at least it come across our minds? Lord willing. Lord willing. Lord willing. It's so significant. It's so important. Because presumption, presumption again, and I say this as I said last time, presumption is in the same camp as slander and gossip. They're detestable to our God. Presumption and slander and gossip both have at the root pride. At the root, we want to be our own God. In one case, we want to pass judgment as God. In the other way, we want to say we set the schedule and we ordain the days. But both of those things are equally sinful. We're going to come to the table this morning and maybe you need to take stock in your life as I have, as I've walked through these passages. I hope this week that as we, as you walk through your week, that at times as you were to speak, you thought before you spoke. Maybe you were going to comment or maybe you were going to ask a question about somebody and, and those words caught some in your throat. Maybe they stopped you from uttering them because you thought about what God thinks of those kinds of things. You thought of how strong his language was that your religion is worthless if that's a pattern of your life. Or even today, as you come to the table, you think about something you planned last week. Did you think about the Lord in it? Was he part of those plans? Lord willing, I will do this or do that. You see, when we talk about living in a life of perpetual repentance, I want you to understand that. I'm talking about those kinds of areas in our life. Those kinds of things that we don't want to always categorize the way God does. There's a, there's a worldly wisdom and a godly wisdom. As we walk in godly wisdom, we talked about this last week, walk in godly wisdom, I think it moves us more and more in the area of moving to repentance. An understanding and a realization of sin and how, how pervasive it is in our lives, even as believers, as we see the intricacies of our heart. We said last week that one of the things that people are seeing in this post-Christian culture that we live in, post-Christian slash non-Christian culture. We made the differentiation between that and just non-Christian. There's post-Christian slash non-Christian culture versus just non-Christian culture. America would be post-Christian, many are saying, slash non-Christian. China would be just non-Christian. They haven't come through a post-Christian era yet. And when they're talking about that, how hard it is to reach that culture today because because as a culture does that, as they're moving away from Christianity, they move less and less toward an awareness of sin. They're moving away from an awareness of sin. A believer should be moving the other way, more and more of awareness of sin, how pervasive it is in our culture, how pervasive particularly it is in our own hearts. I believe that's the way of humility. I believe that's the way we walk as Christians. More and more aware, not of the sin of other people, 
but of our own sin and of our own hearts and how pride is such a pervasive thing within us. God help us. Let's pray together. Father, we pray this morning that you will help us as we come to the table. And Lord, if we, if we have been guilty of allowing pride to rise up within us in areas of, of slander or gossip or in areas of presumptuous planning, Father, I pray that, Father, you'll help us to see it and acknowledge it and realize that your grace comes to us for it. Father, you give more grace to us as we see more and more of our sin in our hearts. And you also, Lord, give us the power of grace to come against it and battle against it and not to continue to have it reign in us. So we pray you would help us, Lord. We pray as we come to this table that we would drink of your grace, that you would help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read to you what Paul says to us regarding the table, and then we're going to come. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way he took the cup, and after supper, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then he says, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat and drink of the cup. God help us examine our hearts to walk in repentance before our God. We're going to serve the elements of those that would want to help us would come. We'd ask that you would hold the elements this morning and we'll partake together. If you're visiting today, we invite you to come to the table if you can live under the invitation that we provide. We have open communion this morning. our sins away slain for us and we remember the promise made that all who come in faith find forgiveness at the cross so we share In this bread of life And we drink Of his sacrifice As a sign Of our bonds of peace 
around the table of the king. The body of our Savior Jesus Christ torn for you. Eat and remember the wounds that heal the death that brings us life paid the price to make us one. So we share in this bread of life and we drink of his sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of love around the table of the King. to eat in remembrance of Christ remembrance that his grace is sufficient for the penalty of our sin even sin we may be confessing as we partake this morning but his grace is also sufficient to help us to live in the power to come against that sin as we face it the next time sufficient grace that our circumstances don't have to define us. Our circumstances don't have to be the reason we sin because His grace is sufficient. Take and eat and be grateful. blood that cleanses every stain of sin shed for you. Drink and remember he drained death's cup that all may enter in to receive the life of God. So we share in this bread of life 
and we drink of his sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of grace around the table of the King. And so with thankfulness and faith we rise to respond. And to remember our call to follow in the steps of Christ as his body here on earth. As we share in his sufferings, we proclaim Christ will come again and will join in the feast of death around the table of the King. Again, we drink in remembrance of Christ. Remembrance that his death was about paying a penalty for our sin, but also that we might be conformed to the image of his Son. And so he loves us enough to say that religion is worthless, it doesn't bridle its tongue. And he loves us enough to say that all boasting is evil if God is left out of the equation of our planning. Drink and be grateful for that love. Let's stand together and pray. Lord, we're grateful that we can come to this table and receive mercy. We're grateful that the disposition of your heart toward us is not according to our sin, but according to mercy as we're in Christ. Father, we're grateful and we pray that you will help us. We don't want a religion that is worthless. We don't want 
to be guilty of evil, Father. So help us. Help us, Lord, to look to you for more grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in God's peace. Thank you.